If you have your Bibles, please take them to the book of Matthew, chapter number 22. Are you a great Christian? Are you a great Christian? And what does that look like? Does it mean you attend church three times a week, you give your tithe, your missions, uh, as the old saying goes, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't hang out with the girls who do. What does it mean to be a great Christian? Well, in Matthew 22, Jesus is having one of his debates with a familiar foe, if you will, the Pharisees, who by all outward appearances seem to love God more than everyone else. They wore a phylactery on their head, which was a box containing a scroll of the Hamash, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4, usually through 12. And it had those verses, The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. And they would write this out every day, roll up the scroll, and put it on a headband. They would take a strap every day, and it had scriptures engraved in it, and they would write out verses, and they would wrap it around their arm. They wore a, a prayer shawl, and it had tassels coming out of it. And Jesus said, you make broad the borders of your garments, which meant that they would actually tear those tassels. And the more tassels you had and the longer they were, the bigger your garment was, that meant the more you would pray. And they would walk through the marketplace in front of everyone, rubbing those tassels because everyone stood for a prayer request. Every tassel that they would pull on, they would pray. It was kind of like the prayer beads of the Catholics. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, and they had those tassels, and those strings stood for a, something they were praying for. And, and the more frayed it was, the more spiritual they were, and the more they loved God. And yet Jesus looked at those Pharisees with the tassels and the phylactery and the armband, and he said to them, outwardly, you're like whited sepulchers, but inwardly you are full of dead men's moments. And it's possible to even be a saved Christian and know how to look the part, but inwardly be very, very far from God. And so look at what is happening in Matthew 22, verse number 34. Your Bible says, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were debating Jesus. They were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, not a lawyer of, of government law, but a lawyer of the scriptures, memorizing the five books of the Old Testament. We're pretty proud of ourselves if we memorize three verses a month, and these guys had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all in their head. They were a lawyer of the laws of scripture. This lawyer asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus, what is the most important law? So if you have to choose between not killing or not lying or not stealing and not committing adultery, which one is the most important? And in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, and when I pause, would you, would you please read the word? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt... The Lord thy God with thy heart and with thy soul and with thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now I read that and I thought, what does it mean? On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And I thought about it and it actually makes a lot of sense. 
Not all Christians have the Ten Commandments memorized, but because I work so much with youth, I was taught a, a way using your fingers to remember the Ten Commandments. And so since we are all mature Christians and we're here on a Sunday night, I think we should at least know the Ten Commandments. Would you agree with that? And so I'm going to teach you and I'm going to ask you to put aside your pride and learn the Ten Commandments with me tonight. Are you ready? Here we go. So number one, everyone has to hold up a one. The first commandment is there is one God and him only shalt thou serve. But we're going to make it easy. There is one God. What's the first one? There is brilliant. Second one is no idols. And we're doing this because thou shalt not bow down to them or serve them. You see that? So it's a memory tool. So number one, one God. Number two, no idols. Number three is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So number three is watch your mouth. What's number three? Watch your... Now that doesn't just mean saying, oh my, and using God's name as a curse word, but it also meant invoking God's name for authority. For example, no, I need to divorce my wife because God told me I need to divorce her and marry the younger girl. Would God ever say that? But oftentimes, the Jewish people would use, or I made a vow to God that I have to do this, and so I have to use it. And they were using God's name in, in vain. They were using it worthlessly. And so number one, there's one God. Number two, no. Number three, watch your. And number four is remember the... The Sabbath day. So we're going to go like this. We're remembering, right? So number four is remember the... Number five, we're going to go like this. Like salute, honor thy father and thy... Right? Number six, thou shalt not... Yeah, the one is going to kill the five, all right? So number six, thou shalt not... Number seven, when I'm working with kids, I just say no naughtiness, but it's thou shalt not commit adultery, all right? Jesus said don't even think about it. So number seven, no... Adultery. Number eight is thou shalt not steal. So the five is going to steal the three. All right. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine is thou shalt not bear false witness. And in America, when you are going to give a testimony in court, you put your hand on the Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. So tell the, the truth. Yep. And then number 10 is thou shalt not covet. And I do this because some people are jealous of my beard. All right. <laughs> And so number 10 is thou shalt not covet or be jealous. And so I'm looking at this, and the Bible says that all of the commandments are summed up in the two. And actually, Paul wrote in Romans 13 that all the law is contained in one word, love. One word. Paul said, if you want to know how to please God, you only need to know one word, and that's love. Love is what? Putting others before your... And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Because if there's, if there's only one God, and Him only will you serve, if you love Him, will you serve other gods? If you love the, the one true God, will you bow down to idols? If you love the one true God, will you use His name as a right to do something wrong? If you love God, yeah, you'll remember Him. You'll think of Him. A day. The Sabbath was a day to meditate on God. If you love your father and mother, you'll honor them. If you love somebody, will you kill them? Sometimes kids keep saying yes, and they're like, yes. I'm like, no, <laughs> you won't. If you love your husband or wife, would you ever commit adultery? If you love someone, you won't steal. If you love someone, you, bearing false witness is not the same as not lying. It means you won't slander somebody else. You won't speak about them in such a way that is dishonest. Boy, we struggle with that one a lot in the church, don't we? Did you hear? It may not be true, but it's fun to share, right? Sometimes we call them prayer requests. 
but really it's just an opportunity to talk about somebody. Is that love when you do that? It's not love. And number 10, thou shalt not covet. And I remember when I was younger, I would think to myself, why is that one of the Ten Commandments? Because if you steal, that hurts somebody. If you lie about somebody, that hurts them. If you commit adultery, that hurts somebody. But covetousness is just you. No, it doesn't cause any harm. But covetousness breaks two commandments. Because when you're jealous, you're saying, God, you're not enough to satisfy me. Because I have to have that to be truly fulfilled. You're not enough. And number two, it's saying, I don't care about you because I wish I was blessed. Covetousness is jealousy is a serious sin. And Jesus says here that if we keep the commandment of love, then we'll fulfill them all. Because on these two, love God and love others, hangs all the law and the prophets. And love is just putting others before yourself. And let me share with, with you an example of how God really worked this in my life. Would you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter number 13? I was saved at the age of 12. And at the age of 13, I remember God was calling me to preach. I hadn't yet hit my growth spurt. At 13 years old, I could still sing soprano in the choir. That was very embarrassing. And I was at camp, and I remember God was drawing my heart to be a preacher, and I was sitting there thinking, there's no way. I'm too small. Nobody wants to hear Mickey Mouse preach. And whenever I would sing, my, my dad was on staff at my church, and he would make me sing. And every time that I would get up to sing, I would get so scared, I would shake and I would cry, and people would say, wow, you really meant that from your heart. And I was like, no, I was just terrified. <laughs> and so I'm at camp, there's no way I'm going to be a preacher. And the Holy Spirit kept leading me. That's what I want you to do. You know the Holy Spirit that convicted you when you needed to get saved and the Holy Spirit was telling you, you need to get saved, you need to get saved. And there was that, that inner voice of God speaking to you. That same voice was telling me I needed to go into ministry and I was resisting it. I had all the excuses. And then the preacher and the Holy Spirit said at the same time, it's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. When you look at Hebrews 11, every one of those people in Hebrews 11 at some time in their life made a big mistake but they had faith. Are we saved because of our own righteousness? No, we're saved through faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Because when it's a faith, you can't take the credit for it. All you can do is glorify God. And so at 12 years old, I was saved by faith, 13 by faith. I said, okay, God, if you think you can use me, then I'll, I'll go ahead and go for it. I went up in the corner of a room. My counselor didn't follow me out, but I got in the corner and I got on my knees. And I remember praying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I never dreamed God would let me do the things I'm doing. It's all been just his, his goodness and his kindness to me. But in Bible college, I'll be honest, I kind of became a Pharisee. I spent more time critiquing others who were like me rather than loving others to be like Christ. And one of my favorite quotes that one of the preachers there would say, spend more time growing grass than killing weeds. I was spending all my time critiquing everybody and putting them in a good or bad box, critiquing everybody and figuring out why they weren't quite where I was spiritually instead of loving them and going and helping them grow. Because if you're so busy criticizing people, are you busy loving them? No. And, and God was convicting me that, that my own brothers saw I was committed to Christ, but they didn't see God in me. Because 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not... Knoweth not God, for God is... Which means you can know that Moses built the ark. And that Jonah crossed the Red Sea. Right? That's how the stories go, right? 
You can know all of the Bible stories, but if you don't have love, the Bible says you do not know God. You can go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, read your Bible every day like the Pharisees. And if you don't have love, the very Bible that makes you feel confident says you do not know God. And I was convicted that my brother saw in me a Pharisee. And it doesn't mean you stop doing the right things, but that your attitude towards people changes. And I remember reading 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and it broke me. Look with me at verse number 1. This is on the tail end of saying there's something better than tongues. There's something better than sign gifts. I, I show unto you a more excellent way, and the more excellent way is love, because God is love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity or pure love for others, I am become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. Now, the way I, I like to illustrate this is I don't know if you ever saw the, the movie uh, with Snoopy in it, the Peanuts gang, but there was a teacher. And every time in this cartoon they showed the teacher, you couldn't hear the teacher's voice. All you would hear was, wah, 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 wah. And then the kids would talk about what the teacher was saying, and then the voice would come again. Wah, 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 wah. And that drove me crazy. I wanted to know what the teacher was saying. And it was just, it was so annoying. And this verse is saying that if you have the, the tongues of men and of angels, if you could sing or speak eloquently, you could be the best soul winner. But if you don't have love, it's like a sounding brass. I don't know, we have some, some trumpet players over here. When you first started, it probably drove everyone in your family crazy, right? <laughs> Try and hit the high note. When I was in middle school, my, my piano or my trumpet teacher made me try and go for the first chair. And my face was turning red, and my eyes were watering, and everybody was staring at me. It was like torture. And my parents would make me go up to the corner of the house to practice because I was terrible. Sounding brass, right? Or tinkling cymbal, the triangle, someone just banging noise. And the Bible says that if you are eloquent in your sharing of the Bible or the gospel or spiritual things, but you don't have love, all people hear is... The Bible says if you don't have love, it's a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. And I read this, and I thought of my, my younger brother. I have four, four younger brothers, and they're all great guys. And one of my brothers was not as athletic as, as the rest of us. He was very good at drawing. He had an amazing singing voice great personality, but he wasn't as good at sports. He was very clumsy, and as a small boy, he had a big head, but he was very skinny. He kind of looked like a lollipop. <laughs> and he had big eyes, and he, was, he wasn't coordinated, so he was always poking himself in the eye. We would be passing the football, American football, and with that big football, somehow he would poke himself in the eye. And I would say, bro, you are such an airhead, because he had a big head, but there was nothing inside. <laughs> And that was my nickname for him was Airhead. We would, he, one time he was drawing with a pencil and he pushed down too hard on the pencil and it broke and the lead popped up and hit him in the eye. And he, he would always go, oh my eye. Bro, you are such an Airhead. We, we, he was playing with Legos and he was pushing on the Lego. Oh my eye. All the time I would say, bro, you are such an Airhead. And that's always what I would call him. And I read this verse and I was burdened for my brother. And God said, he sees, he sees that you're spiritual, but he doesn't see God in you. 
And so I went to my brother and I sat him down and we were in a, in a public area and I sat him down and I said to my brother, he was going through some difficult times. I said, I just want you to know that even if you never go into ministry, I want you to know that I'm your older brother and I will always love you. And he was kind of like, yeah, okay, thanks, bro. Like, I don't care. And then I said, and I want you to know that I don't think you're an airhead. And when I said that, my 20-year-old brother, tears began to well up in his eyes. And he said, thank you. He said, I guess I knew you loved me, but I, I always knew that you only looked at me as an airhead. And in that moment, my brother saw God in me. Not because of me, but because I was trying to show him love. And if we go to church, and we read our Bibles, and we wear the right clothes, but we don't have love, as you're going to see, it profits us nothing. Look with me at verse number two. Paul writes, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, the deepest doctrinal understanding, and though I have all faith, Hebrews 11 faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not shared your love, I am nothing. When I read these verses, this didn't fit with my version of Christianity. Because my version of Christianity was I perform and I do good and God blesses me and I'm better than other people. But your Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. God doesn't love you because of your performance. God loves you because God is love. Completely undeserved. Completely unearned. God loved you while you were still a sinner. He didn't say, turn over a new leaf, promise to change, and then I'll save you. No, God said, you could never save yourself, so I'm going to die for you and save you, and all you have to do is believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There is no love like the love of God. And your Bible says that you could have the deepest doctrinal knowledge, all mysteries, all knowledge. You could have more faith than everyone else, but if you don't have love, your own Bible says that you are nothing. And I fear that many times the difficulty with the Pharisees is they did what they did to be seen of men. And although we are born again by the blood of Christ, sometimes we do what we do to be seen or to be blessed. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but sometimes we conservative Christians have our own version of it. If you don't give your 10%, God's going to give it anyways. If you don't give your tithe, your car's going to crash, and then you're going to know you should have given it. And that may be true, but what if we just gave our 10% because we love God and it all belongs to Him anyways, not because we're scared of something bad happening to us? If we do the right things with selfish motives, we get no reward because we didn't do it out of love. And, and can't you tell... Have you ever been around a group of people and you know they're being nice to you because they want something from you? You know what I'm talking about? The compliments, the, the extra kindness, and it kind of feels good and then you're driving home and you're like, wait a second, what was really going on there? Because it wasn't done out of love. Maybe they expected something. Maybe it's because you have something. Maybe it's because you're an important person. And that's not Christianity. That's how the world thinks. That's how culture thinks. But Jesus said, let him that is greatest among you 
be your servant. Which I have no right to preach because we all like to preach being a servant until we're actually treated like one, right? It's easy to say that until someone treats you like a servant and then all of a sudden your pride works up. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? And all of a sudden being a servant isn't, doesn't feel so spiritual anymore. But your Bible says that if you have all knowledge and all faith, but not love, you're nothing. And look at verse number three. This one, again, was very shocking for me. Very shocking. Paul writes, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I said, wait, wait a second. Why would you give your body to be burned, or give everything you have to feed the poor, if you weren't doing it out of love? Well, you're doing it maybe because you want to be recognized. Maybe you're doing it out of guilt. Maybe you're doing it because you think that you're going to get something in return, recognition, or you just want to feel better about yourself. In the world, they say, oh yeah, I give because it makes me feel good. But that's not really out of love. I mean, it's a type of love, right? There's different kinds of love. One Jewish priest I heard say this, what most people think of as love is really fish love. When you say, I love fish, that doesn't mean you care about the fish having a good life. You love the fish because it makes you happy. And much of what we as humans call love is I love that person because they look good. I love that person because they're smart. I love that person because they make me happy. I love that person because they're funny. I love that person because they're rich and they give me money. But that's not really love. Real love is putting another before your self. And you can do great acts of sacrifice and spirituality and fame and do it for your own honor. Sometimes a Christian will slave away. And they'll slave away and then, wow, look at how hard she sacrifices. But it's really just because she wants to feel good. She wants to prove how much better she is. It's not really about serving others. It's about the recognition. And if that's the case, still do it. But remember, at Judgment Day, Paul said, if you don't do it out of love, it profits you nothing. 1 Corinthians 3, when your works and your life passes through the fire, all the things that you've done, if they're done for vain glory or selfish reasons, will be burned up. And because of God's grace, you're in heaven. But all that you claim to do in His name, if not done out of love, will be burned up and it will profit you nothing. Wow, these are serious verses, aren't they? Keeping the Ten Commandments is easier than love. Because the Ten Commandments don't say, thou shalt not be unkind to other people. But you know sometimes in your heart you say something and you do it out of spite. And even if the Ten Commandments don't say not to do it, it's still a sin if it's not out of love. I was preaching in Oklahoma and sharing this idea. And I, and I said, the Ten Commandments are the easiest things in the Bible to keep. And I just jokingly said, the Ten Commandments don't say, thou shalt not beat thy wife. But you still shouldn't beat your wife, right? And this man spoke out and said, or your husband's. And I looked at him, and I said, I hope that's not a problem for you. <laughs> and he came up to me after the service, and he said, actually, this is my second wife. My, my first one would beat me up. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll be sure to tell the women not to beat their wives. <laughs> or their husbands, I'm sorry. <laughs> Got to be careful how you say that where we are these days. But um, anyways, and he said, yes, thank you. So the Ten Commandments don't say all of the rights and wrongs, but we have a greater law, which is the law of love. 
If you look in James chapter number two, we won't turn there, but it talks about if a poor man comes in and you say, oh, sit here on my footstool, please sit over there, you kind of smell bad, you look bad. And then a rich man comes in and, oh, this guy's rich, you know, let's show him favoritism. The Bible says that you commit sin. If you treat some people better than others simply because of their position in life, the Bible calls that sin because it's showing favor to people based on things that benefit you. And that's sin because it's not love. Let's finish looking at 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. So we have to ask ourselves, what does love look like then? What is putting others before yourself? One of the fruits of the Spirit, the first fruit of the Spirit is... So this kind of love that I'm preaching is not something that I can do in my own strength. Loving people, loving family members, loving co-workers, loving neighbors, loving church members. This is not a love that you do through self-discipline. This is a love that is given to you through the Holy Spirit of God. This is something that's supernatural. This is not something you get through keeping a list of rules. This is not some, and I'm not against these things, but this is not something you get through wearing the right clothes and having the right Bible version and listening to the right music. Because a Pharisee could do that. And that's not to say those things aren't important, because they are. But this type of love is something spiritual that God does in your heart. It's not something that you bring out of your flesh. Am I making sense? It's supernatural. It's God-given. It's something that comes when you die to yourself, and you let the Spirit live in you. Something God does. And what does this love look like? Look at verse number 4. And when I, when I pause, please, please read the word. Charity suffereth long and is. Charity suffereth long and is. Charity suffereth and is kind. Charity. Oh, sorry. I'm sticking with the same one. Same phrase. Charity long and is kind. Now, don't get upset that I keep reading that because charity suffereth long and is. Which means that love does not quickly become impatient. We, we believe in our culture many times that, well, I've put up with this long enough. Oops, sorry. <laughs> now it's time to put down the hammer, right? Now everybody's awake. I've suffered long enough. I put up with it. Boom. No, but the Bible says love suffers long and is kind. If you view yourself as so important that you can treat people unkindly anytime they treat you wrongly, that is not love. Because charity suffereth long and is kind. That's hard. That means even authorities. That means at the workplace. That means the head hold of the house. That means the preacher suffers long and is still kind. Let's look at the next one. Charity envieth not. That means you're not jealous. You look at somebody, I'm jealous of this, I'm jealous of that, I'm jealous that they get recognized and I don't. I'm jealous that they're treated this way, I'm jealous that they have this talent, that ability, this car, this house, this job. I'm jealous that everybody likes them, I'm jealous that they have this and that. That's not being happy for them, that's thinking of your... That's jealousy and that's not love. Charity vaunteth, vaunteth not itself. That means charity is not always elevating itself. You know, sometimes you're just swapping stories, but then we all, that, we all know that one person, and they always have to have the best story. And they're just going to keep one-upping your story, and they always have to be recognized, or you say something interesting, and they have to say something that's more interesting. 
That's vaunting yourself. Instead of taking an interest in another, you always have to be recognized as the smartest or the most interesting or the funniest, and you're vaunting, you're lifting up yourself. Is not puffed up. That's actually what pride means in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, to be puffed up like a balloon. You're full of self-importance. You're full of self-accomplishment, and that's not love. Verse number five does not hate, behave itself unseemly. That means love does not knowingly do anything that would cause someone else harm or to be uncomfortable. So if you know what you're about to do or say is going to hurt someone, don't do it. Don't do it. If you know what you're about to do is going to cause your family, your wife, your husband, your parents frustration, then just don't do it because love does not behave itself unseemly. Love seeketh not our own. That means love is not all about what you want and your desires. Love is not easily provoked. That means love doesn't blow up at everything. Love doesn't get angry. I drive all over the world, and for some, for some reason, Vancouver is a hard place for me to drive. I, I just, I don't know what it is. I drive in India, I've driven in Africa, all over the United States, but when I come here, something about the roads, I think it's, there's so many stoplights. So I'm driving and then I stop and it's red and I look, there's no cars here. And there's no cars here. Why am I not driving? <laughs> and then I go to the next light and it turns red again. There's no cars here and there's no cars here. Why am I stopped? And my blood pressure is going up and then God will say, love is not easily provoked. <laughs> Somebody cuts you off, right? Because someone's stopping to turn, they're not paying attention, so they cut you off, you slam on the brakes, and all of a sudden, you're angry. Somebody says one little thing to you, or maybe this one's a lot of us, you haven't had your coffee in the morning. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Okay, now the Holy Spirit has entered the temple. <laughs> well, walking in the Spirit, we're all grumpy sometimes, right? We're all grumpy sometimes, but walking in the Spirit means that you're not easily provoked that the Spirit will come, that you'll take a moment, begin to be thankful, and God will do something in you that not even coffee could do for your mood. Boy, that's hard. Because love, compared to the Ten Commandments, is impossible. A lot of people could say, I haven't broken the Ten Commandments in like two weeks, three weeks, a month. I've been doing pretty good. But love gets your eyes off of what you're doing, and it gets it on how you treat and think and act towards others. So love is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. <laughs> Boy, that's a big one. Oh, I know why she said that. Did you see them talking? I know they're talking about me. I know they're talking about me. Oh, when she walked by, she didn't even shake my hand. Well, maybe she was rushing to get her kid because her kid was injured, right? And, and we can see something happen, and we assume false motives because we're thinking about ourselves and our slight perception of what someone did or didn't say, not knowing what happened in their lives that day. But love thinketh no evil. Love doesn't assume the worst. Oh, he just does that because he wants everyone to think. Oh, yeah, they think they're so... That's not love. That's not love. Verse number six, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. That means when you see somebody and they fall into sin, you see somebody and, and their life starts to break apart, you don't go, well, that's what happens. That's not love. You go, I hope God will recover them from that fall. I hope that they get their kids back. I hope that he comes back from the world. I hope that she gets her heart right. Not, well, they should have listened to me. Not, well, we knew that was going to happen if they didn't. 
but a heart of compassion that God would recover people from the snare of the devil because love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it does rejoice in the truth that people would know the love of God the way you do. And then finally, verse number seven, love bears all things. It's back to patience, believes all things, accepts God's best, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Verse number eight, charity never faileth because God is love. And so based on these section of verses, this section of verses, when I look at this and I look at what love is, I would have to be honest that I am not a great Christian. Because some one of these on these lists, I violate every day. Every day I don't love like I should. But aren't you glad that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I'll finish with one story and we'll close tonight. We can't muster up love. We love him because he first loved us. And there's a very good story about this. Would you look with me at our final text tonight? Luke chapter number 7 and verse number 36. This is one of my favorite stories. When I was younger, I didn't like it because it seems like it gives license to sinners. It seems like it gives too much mercy but how many of you are, gra- are glad that God never runs out of mercy on you? Amen? We have such a good God. The God of the Hindus, the God of Islam. There is no God like our God. Jesus is the greatest. And in Luke chapter number 7, Luke 7, verse number 36, we have a beautiful story about the grace of God. Luke seven thirty-six says, And one of the Pharisees desired him, Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, she was infamous. Many theologians believe that she may have been a a prostitute. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. Now, this alabaster box, there was a man by the name of J. Vernon McGee. He was a pastor in California, and he was going to die of cancer, and so he said a prayer. He said, God, before I die of cancer, would you please let me preach through every book of the New Testament? And he got to the end of that that year, and he had finished every book of the New Testament, and he said, God, I have one more request. Before I die of cancer, would you let me preach through every book of the Old Testament? And he ended up living to be like 75 years old. And he was writing about this verse, and he said that alabaster box had different uses in the New Testament times, but one of the uses, because it was so costly, was that they would actually be given this box at 12 years old, a young girl, And they would save this box until maybe they were married. And then on their wedding night, they would break the box and they would anoint the one who they were married to with this special ointment as a scent to remember that special wedding night. And it was something that they would save. Now, this woman was indeed what many theologians believe a prostitute. She probably was never going to be able to use that box with the same specialness with which she was given as a young girl. Do you understand what's happening here? And so here we have Jesus sitting at the Pharisee's house. Remember how judgmental and critical they were. And in comes this lady who is well known for being a sinner. And she comes in and she takes this ointment very costly, sometimes worth a year's wages. And verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, And began to wash 
his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now I want you to picture how awkward this is, because the Bible doesn't always properly convey the emotion. And so I want to kind of put it in modern times. Pastor White is a very dignified man. He dresses sharp, he stands tall, he's a man of God. I want you to picture him taking me out tonight, slightly less distinguished, but I have, I have a nice beard at least. Thank you, I appreciate that. And so we go out to eat, and we're sitting there at dinner, and, and everything I know about him is pretty good, but I'm, but I'm maybe a little insecure, so I'm looking for some weaknesses in him so I feel better about myself. And in white spot walks this lady, and she's wearing high heels, and her dress doesn't quite fit her, and big hair and makeup, and everybody's kind of like looking but not looking because you know probably what she does and you feel bad, but you're like, oh, don't look, but I want to look and what's going on here? And she walks over to Pastor White. And she comes over to him and she puts her head down and she's crying on his shoulder. And I'm going, <laughs> and his wife is getting ready to punch the lady in the face, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, now why in the world is this lady coming and what, what has Pastor White done? And then she says, Pastor White, thank you so much because I walked into a 7-Eleven last night and you gave me that track. And last night I prayed and trusted Christ because you didn't reject me and you gave me that track and I just wanted you to know that I'm a Christian now because you gave me that track last night. Everyone in the restaurant's looking, judging. I'm thinking, why would he even give a track to that lady? And this is the attitude of the Pharisee. And look at what Jesus says to confront this selfish and self-righteous mentality. Verse number 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, which was a traditional greeting in that part of the world. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet, my head with oil, Thou didst not anoint. You didn't give me any time to freshen myself up. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. When we recognize just how much God loves and forgives us, it frees us to stop critiquing others and show them the same love and grace that God has given you. We love God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, not because we're so spiritual, 
but because we have a God who first loved us. Will you open your hands tonight and say, God, you can have everything. Is there someone in your life you're bitter against? Would you forgive them tonight? Is there somebody who you don't get along with? Tonight would you pray and ask God to change your heart? Is there something you know God wants you to do, but you've held back? Would you surrender yourself to the love of God tonight, your plans, your future, your finances, your relationships? Maybe like me, you need to go to a family member and say, hey, I'm sorry for what I did, for what I said. I love you. Will you forgive me? Not because you're spiritual, but because of how much love that God has given you. Pastor.